Welcome, weary traveler. This is a radio play written by myself, your humble narrator, and oftentimes many of my friends. Though there is precious little time for introductions, know I am glad to make your acquaintance. Please, step inside, warm yourself by the fire, and let us embark together on an adventure like no other. Welcome, weary traveler, pull up a chair, warm by the fire, let out a cheer, kick up your feet and grab a drink, words away till the day, legends are made but quickly fade, so come embark on an adventure today. This is the tale of the adventures of legend, chapter one. All I have are stories. Five weary souls made their way through the long, broken, and fractured Argarian forests of Rictum. Eight days prior, they were strangers, and perhaps the same could be said now as they walk in silence, save for the crashing thunder and pitter-patter of rain that accompanies every step taken on this road to their final destination, Baron. Baron was a village centered on the outskirts of Rictum and largely ignored by the ruling class simply known as the Oligarchy. Be it for the lack of resources or position in Rictum, it is a long-forgotten afterthought in a nation with one core tenant. Provide and prosper, or perish. The reason for its or any other so-called useless village's continued care at all is simply out of the pride, or perhaps pity, of the ruling class. Nonetheless, Baron was in need of the oligarchy's pity, even if that pity had a price. Ten days ago, a letter was received by the Iron Guard of Scarwalt, a plea for help. The letter, written by a Barrett Lithrone containing an attached promissory note of 15 gold pieces, stated two of the village's children had gone missing. As is routine for requests from the less desirable villages, the Iron Guard subsidized the reward to make it more desirable with its own coffers and relegated the task to a group of mercenaries and adventurers. With the promise of 25 gold pieces, five strangers accepted the task in the long journey ahead. It is hard to say what transpired on the road there, all records appear to have been lost at one point or another. I choose to believe that maybe there was moments of laughter and small talk, but who can be certain? What is certain that after miles and miles of walking along an ever-narrowing road, the group now approached what appeared to be a sign. A flash of lightning, bright as day, briefly illuminated the world, and they could see the sign said Baron, which was further confirmed by much of the village being briefly glimpsed in the moments before the thunder cascaded around them. Following the road down, they came across another sign. It pointed to, of course, the one thing that could be found in every village, town, or city, no matter the size. A tavern. They made their way quickly there, looking forward to finally being off the road and in some place warm. Approaching, they could see a warm red light glowing through the singular window of an outwardly unremarkable establishment save for the sign overhead which read Blazkow's Tavern. As the group entered, presumably Blazkow, a human man in his late fifties with a big grey bushy beard and slight pot belly, greeted our adventurers one by one as they entered. He saw at first an elf, a bow around his back and long pointed ears. Ernest carried himself with a certain weight about him. Following Ernest were Tar and Leoben. Both were half-elves, young in age, and wore chainmail. 
Utah, however, was a woman who called the Four Lot Deserts her home, and was slightly tanned and wearing a necklace with a small trident, the symbol of her god Carthius, that clanked against the metal of her armor. Leoben, a cleric of Modestus, carried by his side a sword, mostly for show and the occasional slash if anything got too close. Quintar, well, if you looked into her eyes long enough, you would be able to see perhaps the surface level of her experience growing up in the Forlot Deserts, which surely hardened her to the world. With echoing footsteps, they were followed by Falsy, a Goliath from the far northern coasts of Rictum. A massive sword was attached to them, they were quiet and reserved, in complete juxtaposition to the final member who entered Blazkow's tavern. An electric, if not aggressively talkative, 17-year-old named Kiki entered the bar, giddy to see a new person at last. Her eyes shined a brilliant golden hue, a trait from a lineage she did not fully understand, but hoped to one day. These five are also the only ones currently in the bar other than a man far off in the corner with his head down next to a tankard. The interior of the tavern was simple. A crackling fire warmed the space and was littered with far too many tables for a bar in the middle of nowhere. Beyond the furnishing was a long, raised wooden bar that Blazkow stood behind and just behind him was a door leading to some unknown room. As the party made their way in, Blazkow made his formal introduction. Hello, I presume you are the party from Scarwood. A nodding agreement from the party at home, Blazkow continued. I hope your travels weren't too harsh. Things have not gotten better around here. Since we sent our request for aid, another child has gone missing. Ethan, his father, Gatlin, is over there. He said with a subtle point towards the disheveled man in the corner. Kiki, taking the lead, inquired about any information that Blazkow could provide about Ethan or really anything about their current job. Blazkow took a deep breath in, then responded as best he could. I can tell you what I know, but Barrett, Barrett Lithgow, our village's leader, he wrote a letter and is privy to more than I. What I do know is about two weeks ago, Marjorie stopped disappeared. We searched for days but could not find her. We didn't give up looking, but her family's home is nearest to Witchwood, a place we do not go. We hoped that she had just wandered into the forest and gotten lost, that she would come back. But then Jarrett disappeared, also near the Witchwood. Then five days ago, Ethan disappeared in the far south of town. Again we looked, but found nothing. The party took all this information in for a moment, their objective becoming clearer. Find three people who had vanished without a trace. Kiki thanked Blazkow and asked if he had any rooms for the night. Shifting in stance, Blazkow responded, No, we don't really get travelers. Ernest! Speaking up for the first time, pointed out that they might get more travelers if they had rooms to stay in. Ta, Leoban, and Falsy shook their heads in agreement. Blazkow, slightly dejected, added, Yes, well, you are free to sleep inside the tavern for tonight. I mean, can I grab you any drinks? 
echoing of a goliath belly filled the room as Falsy asked if there was anything to eat. Specifically, if there were any vegetarian options available. Blazkow, taken aback, thought for a moment. I have... I have leaf lettuce. With a sigh, Falsy agreed to the lettuce. The remainder of the party told Blazkow the drink orders, and they would have anything on the menu that was slightly more than lettuce. Unfortunately, that was what the menu consisted of. Blazkow disappeared to prepare the drinks and five plates of lettuce. The party used his brief absence as an opportunity to settle down into a table. Limbs were stretched in sighs of relief to be sitting and actual chairs were had. While the party took in their surroundings, Kiki found her gaze locked on to Gatlin. She conferred with her party, asking if they believed it to be a good idea to talk to the man. They seemed to believe it was. Kiki and Tar arose from their chairs and walked over to the man. Just behind them, Blazkow had begun to set down the drinks, and five immaculate stacks of leaf lettuce were piled high. Kiki and Tara stood before the slumped-over man. They stood in relative silence for a moment and soon realized Gatlin was not asleep. Rather, he was crying. Tara let out a gentle cough and the man slowly looked up. Gatlin was a human with long hair, a closely cut beard, and two large black circles under his eyes. He wore the leathers of a man whose job it was to hunt. He looked to Kiki and Tar without words, waiting. Kiki, in a low tone, trying to be as empathetic as possible, asked if Gatlin could tell them anything that would help them find his son. How could you possibly help me find my son when I could not? Gatlin said with clear spite in his heart. Tar. Surprised by his response, reminded him that the village asked for help. With a flare of rage in his eyes, Gatlin spoke quickly. No, I voted against asking for the oligarchy's help. They are parasites that only come when coin is offered and may just as quickly leave having done nothing at all. Kiki, trying once more, asked Gatlin to simply provide any information he could so that they could at least try. You can't help me, Gatlin said, looking at them a moment longer before he began to set his head back down on the table. Before he could, though, the crashing of thunder and the front door of the tavern being slammed open shot him back awake. On the floor laid a badly bruised boy with his clothes torn to shreds, and in an instant the party raced over. Kiki crashed down next to the boy. She examined his wounds, noting what appeared to be several small lacerations along every part of his body. He was breathing heavily. She gently lifted his face as Gatlin arrived, screaming out his son's name, Ethan. Kiki's fingertips sparked to life with a golden purplish hue as she pushed her hand against Ethan's back. As Gatlin grabbed his son in both arms and lifted him up, the boy's breath began to even out while some of his cuts healed over. Gatlin announced, I am taking him to Barrett. The party tried to argue, saying they could provide healing, but Blazko asked them to leave it be for the night, saying, Barrett is a healer and would be able to help. It would be best if you rested for the night and visited him in the morning. 
please. The party agreed, and Gatlin was already gone anyways. They had not had an easy night's rest in the confines of a warm building in at least eight days. It would be a relief to do so tonight. Over the course of the next several hours, the party found themselves heading to bed on various parts of the tavern floor. Before all found rest, however, a curious pair found themselves by the fire. Falsi and Blasco watched the flickering flames together. Falsi asked once more if Blasco by chance had anything else to eat. They were having some indigestion issues. Blasco looked with the most understanding look a man can give and said, I too have indigestion issues, but I do know of a cure. A moment. Blazkow got up and shuffled away, returning with a few root vegetables in a pot with some water in it. He set the pot on the flame and let the vegetables begin to cook. As the pair waited for their cure to be ready, they talked about their lives. Thorsey told Blazkow about their time living in a small fishing village before setting out into the world. Blazkow and Kine told Falsey about his life, how he used to be a hunter before opening up this tavern how he enjoyed being of service to people and how it gave him reason to travel to Scarwood to purchase beer and supplies for the tavern and village. Eventually, the stew was ready, enjoyed by the both of them, and at last they went to sleep, Falsy making room on the floor and Blasco disappearing into the room behind the bar. The elves of the group were stirring awake about an hour after, needing less rest than their counterparts. In the haze of waking up, Ernest and Leo Ben noticed the door behind the bar slightly opened and filled by a dark shadow as if someone was in the doorframe watching. It was noted, but they did not act on it. After a few more brief hours of rest, the party awoke for the day. Blazkow told them they could find Barrett in the town hall a short walk north. The party waved to Blazkow and departed. It was overcast still outside, but the rain had ceased and the sun pierced through the clouds in various areas. In the daylight, the party could see to the west a forest made of trees unlike those in the Agarian forest they marched through not so long ago. They looked curiously for a moment and then made their way to the town hall. The building clearly labeled Town Hall was functional, a simple wooden structure constructed mainly to provide a warm space for meetings. Entering, the party found it was largely empty save for a lectern at the front of the hall and three beds, one of them currently occupied, to the right. Proceeding inward, the party was greeted and gestured over by an elderly man sitting at the foot of the bed. Just to his side was Gatlin, who was looking at his son. Ethan, meanwhile, was sitting up in the bed. They both remained silent as the party approached and the elderly gentleman began to speak. Hello. It is good to meet you. I am Bert Lithgrow. I appreciate you making the journey, and I suppose you have some questions. But before that, I believe it is best to let Ethan tell his story so that we can be on the same page. Ethan, a teenager with short brown hair and far too many scars for a person of his age, turned his attention from Barrett to the party and began to share his story. My father and I, we split up in the morning to hunt in different areas of the Agaian south of town. I was on my way back to camp when I felt someone hit me from behind. I was un unconscious for 
don't, uh, I don't remember how long. Gatlin's hand rested gently on his son's arm as he continued. But when I awoke, I was being dragged over my head and it was dark outside, I think. Uh, I guess it is always dark in the forest. Uh, we traveled for what felt like a few hours more. Through the sack, I think I saw an entrance to a building made of stone. We went down some stairs and I was thrown into a room and locked inside. Yeah, I heard screaming from Jerick, I think. The party asked if it seemed like a scream of pain. No, just fear. While I was down there, it was mostly silent otherwise. The people who took me and the other man who was there already, they didn't talk much, but... One of them mentioned the harvest moon and being ready for it. Every now and again they would bring us water. The last time they did though, I pushed my way past the man and he fell to the ground after I ran out. I heard three energetic scream as I ran. He didn't look... He didn't look back though. Gatlin moved in and brought his arm around his son, pulling him close as the tale continued. I started to run as fast as I could through the forest and eventually found the road. I started to hear voices all around me. And this fog came in and I could feel it cutting me. And I just kept running and running and running until finally I was out of the woods. With his story complete, Ethan's breathing had become accelerated and heavy. It began to return to its normal flow eventually as Gatlin held him and Barrett continued on. I believe I know where Ethan was taken based on this description. It is an ancient mausoleum located near the center of Marcel's Woods, or rather the Witch Woods as it is now known. The party began to understand that it appeared the path toward the reward and completion of this job was leading them to the Witchwoods. Curious as to what to expect and if there was any other information, Tar asked if Barrett could provide such things. Truth be told, no. All I have are stories and a few historical records. I will share what I know. But... To understand the Witchwood, I'll need to tell you the story of Baron. Long ago, my great-grandfather helped found this village with a group of like-minded individuals who wanted to be as far from the newly established oligarchy's reach as possible while staying in the force they knew. While our view has shifted slightly over time, the prior generations believed the new government to be a scourge upon the freedoms they once enjoyed under the old empire. To them, all the oligarchy promised new prosperity to all my forefolk saw only the future of being crushed. The oligarchy, however, permitted several smaller villages like these to pop up so long as they were out of the way. Thus, the village of Baron was born. When it was growing, the people of Baron were much closer to the strange forest of willow trees, which would become known as the Witchwood. The out-of-place trees were sort of curiosity, and for the most part, the people of Bern hunted in Argarian forests in the early ways. They rarely had reason to go into the Witchwood, there was no sight of game or anything of importance. 
The thick canopy of trees also forms a sort of barrier from the sunlight, leading to near darkness in the forest. That all changed, however, when a local witch in Soothsayer went missing. She was a village elder who decided to search the woods for her herbs and new remedies. When she did not return, a search party was rallied of seven villagers, mostly hunters. They tracked into the forest in search of the witch. Only three returned, their eyes wild and bloodshot. Alas, never did. Not wholly, anyways. Two days later, it is said one of the hunters dragged himself back to the clearing, save for his right leg. After several weeks, the survivors were healthy enough to report their tale. The account they offered presents the only knowledge of what is in the woods. Barrett went to the lectern and grabbed a small wooden box. He pulled out a note and a crude map drafted by someone named Palin. Palin, as Barrett told the party, was in charge of collecting the survivors' accounts. The note read, After trekking into the woods, all appeared normal. The light of the torches kept the party calm in the strange darkness amidst the day. Then the wind came, and all but one torch was unignited. The party quickly lost track of each other in the darkness thereafter. It was then the whispers came. Three members saw a variety of horrors after that. One, the only to maintain the torchlight, remembered hearing screams quickly beginning to take form around him and the other members of the party. He followed the screams to one of the members and helped him reignite his torch. His eyes were wild, but the light calmed him. Thereafter, the fog came. That is when all members become much hazier about their experience, and they remember finding their way out of the forest. After the party finished reading the note, Barrett leaned forward in his chair and said, After the event, the village moved all homes away from the woods and renamed it in memory of the witch who went missing. Mars's Woods, they were called for a while, but that name has been lost to time. No, most people simply remember her as the witch. Those are her woods. Barrett took a deep inhale before continuing. Along with that account of what happened to the search party, Palin asked the survivors to recall any information about what was within the witchwood and drafted that map. The party looked over the map and noted a few locations with small descriptions near each. In the center, near an ominous surrounding place called the Hanging Tree, was the mausoleum with a description similar to that which Ethan gave. Their attention was brought back to Baird as he began to speak. I do not believe we have much time. Ethan mentioned his captors speaking of the Harvest Moon, which is tonight. It seems whoever these people are, their plans are insidious, and you must stop them. Before it is too late. If you have uh, any lingering questions, feel free to ask. Gatlin here will also be willing to provide what information he can. Hickey turned to Gatlin and noticed he looked at her with less intensity than the night prior. It would seem that he knew of the part that Kiki played in his son's healing. She asked the father if he had any other information to add to his son's account. No, not really. As Ethan said, we separated in the morning to hunt. But what I can say is I searched where Ethan was likely taken in every area around it. There were no tracks. There was nothing. 
whoever took him knew how to hide their tracks and where they were going. Kiki nodded as Leo Ben looked to Barrett and asked if the families of the other missing children had any information. Barrett shook his head, saying, No, unfortunately even less is known about our disappearances than Ethan's. I've spoken with them, but they did not have much to add. The party conferred between themselves for a moment before agreeing the only path forward was through the Witchwood. Barrett, Gatlin, and Ethan wished them luck and safety in their journey ahead as they left the town hall. Before embarking towards the woods, the party made one last stop back at Blasco's tavern. They sat for a drink, discussing strategy. At one point, Kiki looked up to Blasco and asked if he knew anything about the Witchwood, on the off chance he knew something not revealed in the notes. Blasco's eyes lowered down as he said quietly, No. We do not go into the Witchwood. Kiki pressed further, asking why not. It is dangerous. We do not go into the Witchwood. Kiki relented and the party finished their drinks. They departed the tavern and began down the road toward the forest they noted in the early morning. As they drew nearer, they could see the trees were packed in tight around each other and reached high into the air. The branches of each seemed to interweave together at the very top with the dark purple leaves creating an impermeable barrier save for a few scattered rays of light to pass through. Before long, the party stood at the precipice of entering the forest. What lay before them was darkness which seemed to stretch on forever. The party stood there in silence for a few moments before something deep within the forest began to call to them, a thing for which their fates were about to become forever interwoven. Whatever it was, it was primal, it was powerful, and it was evil. <laughs>